brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, surviving trauma. I mean, a lot of people experience trauma in their life. Um, last week, I was covering the, the profiles of uh, killers and mass murderers and all that crazy stuff and the psychopaths. And so what I wanted to get into this time, uh, because there's so many people that I, I've been treating for the, for the Las Vegas shooting, uh, I figured we better put a show out there that's going to help people get through trauma. But trauma is not just that particular event. Trauma comes in all kinds of flavors. You know, if, if you've ever experienced a very stressful or disturbing event that's left you feeling like you're helpless in lack of control, emotionally out of control, you, you've probably been traumatized. I mean, psychological trauma can leave you struggling uh, with upsetting emotions, memories, anxiety that won't go away. And, and it can also leave you feeling numb. And it also leaves you feeling disconnected at times and unable to trust people and unable to even remember what you were talking about in the middle of a conversation or even a sentence. You know, when bad things happen, it can take a long time to get over the pain and feel safe again. And sometimes people don't. They still get triggered by events that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, it's interesting uh, with with trauma, the most important thing about treating it is that you want to get in front of it within the first 30 days. Otherwise, it starts growing roots and it starts to relate to other other events. And all of a sudden, you get more and more things that trigger you and remind you of a particular event. And so it throws you back into that event again. And it's really scary for people because they get re-traumatized over and over and over again. So the acute anxiety phase, which is the first 30 days, is critical to getting to the trauma and treating it. Um, if you're treating it as a specialist, I'm a specialist. If you treat as a specialist, that's what you want to do. You want to get to a specialist within 30 days. Now, the next thing is uh, you can get through it by yourself, and we're going to talk about how to do that on this show. Now, after the first 30 days, it starts to move into what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, and, and trauma is the result of, of extraordinarily stressful events that shatter your sense of security they make you feel helpless, and it makes the world feel dangerous. And so these traumatic experiences often involve a, a threat to your life or your safety. But any situations that leaves you feeling overwhelmed or isolated can be very traumatic, even if it doesn't involve physical harm. It's not the objective facts that determine whether an event is traumatic, but your actual subjective emotional experience of the event. And the more frightened and helpless you feel, the more likely you are to feel traumatized. And what's interesting also is your adrenaline kicks you into survival mode. So most people lose parts of their senses. Their, their hearing might uh, increase or their, uh, their uh, ability to see might get even sharper. And that is for them to survive. It is uh, You may need to be stronger to climb a fence or do something like that. And so that adrenaline is there for, to get you through the survival. The problem is the adrenaline turns into a poison, sits in the liver, and people who don't exercise and don't have a healthy life 
can be just traumatized by the fact that their body can't process the adrenaline. The only way adrenaline comes out of your body is for you to sweat it out. That is the only way out. So lots of water and lots of sweating. And that's important. And if people do that within the first week or so, they're going to cut down on the event uh, impact on their life. And once again, in looking at traumatic events, you have to look at them as events. You can't look at them as how the world operates or what's going to happen in your life. And you certainly don't want to live in fear. You know, life is a faith-based experience. That means we take leaps of faith over and over again. Sometimes those leaps leaps of faith aren't so good. You've had bad relationships before, I'm sure, that where you took a leap of faith. I mean, you've had bad experiences where you thought it would be a good experience. You know, these things happen, and that's the randomness of life. And so all of us have to know that we don't want to define our life by a traumatic event. We want to move beyond the traumatic event and use it as an opportunity to help other people from, to recover from bad events. So what can be events? Well, there could be uh, one-time events like an accident, an injury, a natural disaster, a violent attack. And then there's this ongoing relentless stress, such as living in a, a crime-ridden neighborhood or, or battling a life-threatening illness. That could be extremely t- traumatic. There's, then there's overlooked causes, such as surgery, uh, especially if it's in the first three years of life, all of a sudden you don't feel safe. Uh, the sudden death of someone close, the breakup of a significant relationship, or a humiliating or deeply disappointing experience. Those all can be traumatic. And it can lead to trauma if it happened unexpectedly or if you were unprepared or if you left powerless to prevent it, if it happens repeatedly or someone is intentionally cruel or if it happened in childhood taking advantage of you and your naivete as a child. You know, while these things happen, these traumatic events to anyone, there are risk factors that make some of us more likely to experience psychological trauma following that disturbing event. You know, you're more likely to be traumatized if you're already under a heavy stress load and have recently suffered a whole bunch of losses and have been traumatized before, especially if the earlier trauma occurred in childhood. That just plants the seed for the next traumatic event to take a bigger toll on you because you're going to cope with it the same way that you did then, and that may be in a very childish, scared way. You know, childhood trauma increases the risk of future trauma. So experiencing trauma in childhood can have a very severe, long-lasting effect. So when childhood trauma is not resolved, a sense of fear and helplessness carries over the the adulthood, setting the stages for for further trauma. So, you know, know, uh, childhood uh, trauma can result from anything like an unstable or an unsafe environment, uh, separation from a, a parent, serious illness, intrusive medical procedures, sexual, physical, or verbal abuse, or all of the above, um, domestic violence, and neglect. I mean, these are all things that can affect you. Now, how do you know you are traumatized? Well, here's some of the symptoms. Shock, denial, and disbelief. That's the most common. And then there's confusion. You have difficulty concentrating. And then there's always anger, irritability, and mood swings because you never feel like your life is in control. Anxiety, fear are a constant. Guilt, shame, self-blaming. I could have done something. I could have done this. And and that's all Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, withdrawing from other people because you don't want to be asked, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, people hate that. Um, They want to be treated as normal because they want to get back to normal. And all these people just sit around and stare at them because they know they've been through a traumatic event. Now they feel weird. Now they feel out of control. Now they feel angry because now they didn't ask to be all of a sudden 
oh, are you okay? They didn't ask for that. And that's not what they really want. Sometimes it's good that they get that. Sometimes it's good that they get that from a loved one. It's better to get it from somebody that knows you than someone that doesn't know you also or barely knows you. Um, you know, there's a feeling of sad or hopelessness or feeling disconnected or numb. And then there's physical symptoms that come too, like insomnia or nightmares, fatigue, being uh, startled easily, have difficulty concentrating, racing heartbeat, edginess, agitation, aches, pains, muscle tension especially. And so if you're going to try to recover from a traumatic event, um, you know, you have to understand that they that, that typically trauma symptoms last if it doesn't go into PTSD a few days to a few months and they, then it gradually fades as you process that event. And even when you're feeling better, you may be troubled from time to time with painful memories or emotions, especially in response to triggers such as the anniversary of an event or something that reminds you of that trauma. You know, grieving is normal following trauma. And that's important to understand because grieving is exactly what these traumatic people are going through. And it's this very similar process. You know, whether or not the traumatic event involves death, survivors must cope with the loss, at least temporarily, if their sense of, uh, for their sense of safety. So the natural reaction to loss is grief. And like people who have lost a loved one, trauma survivors go through a grieving process and and. You know, you'll find this easier to cope with if you turn to others and support and take care of yourself. So first of all, if you've experienced trauma, you want to get moving. You know, trauma disrupts your body's equilibrium. It freezes you in a state of hyperarousal or fear. In essence, your nervous system is basically stuck, as well as burning off all this adrenaline that it had to release and the endorphins that it had to release to get through the situation. And so the only way, once again, is exercise. You know, movement can actually help your nervous system become unstuck. So if you try to exercise after trauma, and I'm talking about as soon as you can, for 30 minutes or more on most days, lots of water, lots of water, I'll explain later, you know, or it's easier, if it's easier, you can do it in like 10 minute spurts of exercise per day, and that could be just as good, but exercise that is rhythmic, that engages your arms and legs, such as a brisk walk, running, swimming, basketball, even dancing, works best. Sweat, sweat, sweat. Instead of focusing on your thoughts and distracting yourself while you exercise, really focus on your body and how it feels as you move. And if you notice the sensation of your feet hitting the ground, for example, or the rhythm of your breathing or feeling the wind on your skin, rock climbing, boxing, weight training, martial arts can make it easier. After all, you need to focus on your body's movements during these activities in order to avoid injury. Um, and you don't want to isolate yourself. You know, a lot of people isolate because they don't want to be asked about the event because that's re-traumatizes uh, them. And, and so it's important not to withdraw. Just have a canned response. I'm good. I, you know, I enjoyed everything about my trip except for that one thing. And I really wouldn't go into it and just say you, you have the right if you've been traumatized to say I'm not ready to really talk about it with you right now. You know, set the boundaries. And you don't have to talk about it. You just don't. And you need to reassure yourself that it's okay not to talk about it. It's one of those things that you're not ready to process with other people. That's okay. But you do want to ask for support with people that you would like to talk to about that can help you feel safe and help you feel connected. So, you know, connecting with other people is important to normalizing 
leaving the event off your your discussion is a smart thing. But if you have a loved one or somebody close to you that you do want to process it with, take advantage of that because that's important for you to hear what you're thinking. Hear what you're thinking. And that's by talking. That brings it to the conscious. You do not want to not participate in social activities, even if you don't feel like it. You want to do normal things with other people. Things have nothing to do with the traumatic experience, and you can't go there and correlate it to a traumatic event. You know, if you had a traumatic event and you go to somewhere that's similar to where you experienced that traumatic event, look for the exits. Form a plan how to get out, but don't try to relive it or expect to relive that event. Um, you also want to reconnect with old friends. I mean, that's a very helpful thing to do because those old friends, uh, you know, if you've retreated from relationships that were an important part of you, go out and reconnect. They may have something to relate to you. They may have something to help you. You you know what? Also, um, if you joined a support group for survivors, that could help you because you're going to deal with people that know what you've been through. You also uh, can volunteer. You make new friends from from maybe experiencing the similar event in your life. That person can relate to you better than other people can sometimes. So, you know, it is important, you know, but if connecting with others is difficult, you know, vocal toning is a great way to open up a social engagement. Sit straight, simply make mmm sounds, change the pitch and the volume until you experience a pleasant vibration in your face. What I'm trying to say is smile. Smile, smile, smile. If you, and it's hard to remind yourself to smile after you've been through something crappy, but smile. You know, you also want to do in vivo experiences, meaning in life. That means you actually expose yourself. At, at some point to places and things that are similar to an event that you relate to. And the reason you want to do that is to understand that you're now safe. You're now safe. And I'm figuring out a plan to make myself safe so I can relax and enjoy my life. You know, um, you also want to look at your nervous system and self-regulate it. No matter how anxious or agitated or out of control you feel, it's important to know that you can change your arousal system and calm yourself down. It's called breathing, folks. The, the air has about 23% oxygen, but if you can't seem to open your mouth and you keep grinding your teeth and, and keeping your mouth shut, you're basically going to starve your brain of oxygen and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket, including your anxiety. So, if you can't drink, uh, do air, drink water. Water has about 82% oxygen. If you get an aerated bottle like a sports bottle, it's going to activate those oxygen molecules immediately. You also want you need to take care of your health. You want to get plenty of sleep. You want to avoid alcohol after a traumatic event. You want to eat a well-balanced diet. And you want to reduce your stress. Meditation, yoga, deep breathing, exercise. These are activities that can make you feel really good about yourself and much better control because those kinds of things offer you a thing called intuition. And intuition is how we survey our environment to tell us whether or not it's safe. We get a much better intuition when we're in a peaceful place than we do if we're stressed out and focusing on certain things. So, you know, when if you want to get professional help, I just advise you to make sure that the person that you're going to get is somebody who specializes in trauma. You know, it can be a scary, painful, and potentially re-traumatizing. So that healing work, you want to make sure you've got referrals, that people know the person you're going to. 
because some of these people can screw you up worse than you came. And so if they're not experts in trauma, I would advise you to to take the time to find a very good specialist, and, and it might take time. It's very important that they the person you choose has experience in treating trauma, but the quality of the relationship with the therapist is also very important. So if you choose a trauma specialist, you might not feel comfortable with them, and you may have to choose another. But if you find one that you're comfortable with, and if you don't feel safe or respected or, 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 or understood, find another therapist. So you want to ask yourself, if you're finding a trauma specialist did you feel comfortable discussing your problems with the therapist did you feel the therapist understood what you were talking about were your concerns taken seriously or would they minimize or dismissed were you treated with compassion and respect did you believe that you could grow to trust that person that expert you know in order to heal from psychological or emotional uh, trauma, you need to resolve the unpleasant feelings and memories you've long avoided. And so if you've got somebody you can't relate to, it's going to be really hard to actually go about that experience. Now, you know, there's uh, all kinds of different treatment. There's EMDR, which I'll talk about in a little bit, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, Sometimes I mix EMDR and cognitive and do both just to kind of get a good balance. Um, there's also somatic uh, uh, experiencing, which is focusing on your sensations rather than your thoughts and memories. If you focus on the sensations, sometimes you have a better shot at taking control of those emotions. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back to what do you do when you want to help a loved one. I'm going to talk about the actual traumatic experience and doing the things that you need to do to fix yourself. And then we're going to talk about various forms of trauma like rape and other type of things. Tune in and come back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to 
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about surviving trauma. And this is a really tough topic for a lot of people. Just having to listen to something like like this if you've been through trauma can be uh, very triggering. You know, if you've got a loved one that has experienced a tremendous amount of trauma or a horrible traumatic event, there's a lot of things you can do to help them, and you know they're suffering, and you don't know what to do. A lot of people don't know what to do. But the first thing you want to do is you really want to be patient and understanding because healing from trauma takes time. So you want to not try to make this person do things that they don't want to do. You have to understand that right in the in the midst of the trauma, after the recovery, they're not going to be the same person. They're wanting to be normal, but they can't seem to be normal. A lot of people will go back to work and then find that they can't be at work right now. And, and that can be very difficult for them, especially if they have long drives. You know, and here in California, that's a big thing. You know, you want to be patient with the pace of recovery and remember that everyone's response to trauma is different. So don't judge your loved one's reaction against your own response or anyone else's. You also want to offer very practical, logical support to help them uh, get back to normal routine. And that may mean uh, help with uh, collecting groceries or housework, for example, or being able to talk or listen. You know, a lot of people, if they've been in a crowd like the folks in Vegas, uh, you're not going to find them wanting to go back to Costco anytime soon. You're not, you know, that's a crowded place, especially on a Saturday. Uh, that could be a very triggering type of place. So there's lots of places that they may not want to yet go back to until uh, time gets by and until maybe they get to a specialist and try to heal. You also want to help them. uh, uh, You don't want to pressure them into talking, but but you want to be available to want to talk. So that means uh, some trauma survivors find it difficult to talk about what happened, but don't force your loved one to open up, but let them know that you're there to listen and if they want to talk, or available just hang out if they don't want to talk and that's important but if you're going to listen to them talk here is the clue of what you need to do you need to validate that means you don't sit there and try to one-up their story you don't need to bring back your old memories about how you were traumatized what you do want to do is focus on them and be reflective okay I understand okay so what you're telling me is it oh wow I hear what you're saying Oh, I understand. And then you go into, okay, so what you're telling me is this, is this, this has happened. Okay, that's called reflective listening. That means you're not going to hurt them. That is called, that is something that they need and they need to voice it out without you sitting there giving your opinion or making faces or acting weird. They want you to be there listening and validating. You know, don't take the trauma system uh, symptoms personally. You know, if your loved one becomes angry, irritable, withdrawn, or emotionally distant, remember that it's a result of the trauma, and it may not have anything to do with you or your relationship. But yet, sometimes they may vent on you as if it is you. So, once again, you just want to be reflective of that. You, I understand. I hear what you're saying. So, what you're telling me is this, and maybe they'll f- come around and correct themselves. And you also want to help them socialize and relax. 
encourage them to participate in a physical exercise. You want to seek out friends. You want to pursue hobbies, other activities that bring them pleasure. Take a fitness class together. Take a regular lunch date with friends, whatever it is. But you want to get back to some normalcy in their life. And also, if you have a child that's recovering from trauma, it's important to communicate openly with kids following trauma. You want to let them know that it's normal to feel scared or upset. Your children may also look to you for clues on how they should respond to trauma, so let them see you dealing with symptoms in a positive way. You know, how children react to emotional and psychological trauma, some some common reactions are regression. A lot of children need to return to an earlier stage when they felt safer. Uh, time and time again, if a kid's in an accident, they may, they may have just been uh, potty trained and all of a sudden, guess what? They're peeing in their bed again and they're, tr- they're, they're, they're regressing into a much earlier phase of life. That's why they want to feel safer. They go back to when they felt the most safe. You know, they may wet the bed, they may want a bottle, older children may fear being alone. So it's important to understand, be patient and comforting if your child responds in that way. You also want to think, uh, think they often think the event is their fault. So that y- children younger than eight tend to think that if something goes wrong, it must be their fault. You know, so be sure your child understands that he or she did not cause the event. Separate them from that. This is a life lesson that not everything in life is uh, able to be controlled. Also, they, they, a lot of kids form sleep disorders. So some children may have difficulty falling asleep. Others wake frequently or have tr- uh, troubling dreams. So you want to give your kid a stuffed animal, a soft blanket, a flashlight to take to bed. Try, try spending extra time together in the evening doing quiet activities, reading. But you want to be patient. And it may take a while for that kid to, to so they can sleep and, and get through the night again. And also, many of them feel helpless. And, you know, being a, a active in a, in a campaign to prevent an in- event from happening, writing thank you letters to people who helped or caring for others can bring a lot of sense of control to everyone that has been involved. Now, here's some things to do immediately when you experience trauma. Number one is you need, if you have to, go get an adrenaline dump detox, a liver uh, cleanser basically. Uh, Go to like a Sprouts or somewhere and get a kit that'll do that. You also, um, you know, the, the, the adrenaline and the endorphins are very toxic to your liver and it makes you irritable and not able to sleep. That's why adrenaline junkies oftentimes die young, not because of accidents, though that's sometimes a problem, but they also die young of heart attacks because they have so much adrenaline in their liver. So, you know, it makes you irritable and not able to sleep as long as it's sitting there and it's in your bloodstream and and you can't feel like yourself with adrenaline in your system and endorphins. So, you know, sweat it out if you can through cardio, tons of it, tons of it. Drink lots of water through a sports bottle with an aerator 83% oxygen compared to 23% in the air. You know, breathe through your mouth, not just the nose. You know, nose, nostrils, they only breathe through one nostril at a time. That's why we get boogers. So every four hours, we go back and forth. And so that's a straw's worth of oxygen. But your brain needs more than that to function. The brain will start 
grabbing all of the oxygen out of the bloodstream and oxygen is what makes the sun blow up so you know that's how your organs operate is through oxygen when you deplete it of oxygen the brain will go into survival mode grab all the oxygen and all the organs start to sputter so they can't do their job and all of a sudden you have a bunch of somatic symptoms like I feel like I'm dying I feel like I'm anxious I feel like my body's changing and that is because you don't have oxygen also sleep if you're going to go to sleep The main thing to do is to focus on the function, and that function is breathing. How am I breathing? That's the only question you ask yourself, not any other thought in your mind. Turn the lights off. How am I breathing? Okay, if you're breathing through your mouth, that's a good thing. So just keep asking yourself how you're breathing. At least maybe three minutes into it, your brain will shut down because it has nothing to think about. But if you keep sleep, uh, slipping thoughts in, you're going to interrupt that process. So go back to the same thing, how am I breathing, and eventually you will go to sleep. If you just lay there and lay there and lay there and repeatedly keep staying awake, go get a drink, drink of water, go pee, whatever you got to do, and, and then come back and try it again. Don't just, don't just lay there and drive yourself nuts. You know, you aren't, you also want to allow yourself to feel, you know, grieving. Emotions don't last longer than three minutes unless you keep feeding them with a thought as to why you're feeling the way you're, you're feeling. And when you do that, you're re-traumatizing yourself and you're catching yourself up in that grieving process. You know, just say, okay, I'm feeling angry. Yeah, I'm angry. Boy, am I angry. But I'm not adding a justification to why I'm angry and eventually that emotion dies because you gave it no momentum whatsoever. You you also want to understand that it's just an event in your life. It's not your life. Just like death. Death is just the last event in your life. Some people are so afraid of death they spend their whole life trying to prevent death and that's not living. You know the bottom line is it's just an event. It's a bad one but it's an event. It doesn't define who you are. You know, you also, you just want to learn from the events. That's the biggest thing. You also want to recognize we cannot control everything in life, especially other people. There are a lot of crazy people out there. And the fact is, they're not running around in wheelchairs or, or, you know, in crutches and stuff like that. They got it in the head. It's intangible. And it's crazy. And they got squirrels up there. They got all kinds. And you can't see them. But they're running around in that thing, in that head of theirs. You also want to recognize we can only control how we feel and think. So when someone says, you make me feel, the first response should say, I didn't make you feel crap. You decided to feel that. So remember, you're in control of your feelings. And if you have very low emotional intelligence, what that means is like a baby, when they cry, they're crying because they're tired, because they're hungry, because they don't want to go to bed, whatever. They're crying, crying, crying. But that's the only emotion that they have. That's because they haven't been taught how to display other emotions. Well, many people have very low EQ, very low emotional intelligence, and so they're not able, and when they get into a traumatic event, and now they're processing those emotions, and those emotions are being seen by other people, they look very premature, very immature, a little crazy, because they don't know how to process the emotions because they never did it in their life. They just kind of suck it up, and so a lot of people don't know It's traumatic for them just to have emotions because they didn't really understand how to express them in the first place. And that can be traumatic in itself. 
You know, we also want to accept that the world has different perceptions. People have different views of things. If you've noticed politics these days, then you'll simply understand that many people have many perceptions. And they some have some truth, some have no truth, some have lots of truth. But all of it is not always true. It's just a perception. And so you have to understand that there's a whole difference. We are not walking facts. We're walking perceptions. And all of us experience this world differently. And so we can't can't control how another person sees the world, not even our partner. Uh, Also, you want to focus on your life, your memories, and not the event. You want to create lots of memories and as much memories as you can make, as positive as you can make them. But you also want to be right there alive in the experience. That means you're, 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 it's basically you're there. You're, you're in fully engaged. You're not in your future. You're not in your past. You're not in your worries. You're not in your fears. You're just right there present. And that is called the meaning of life. And a lot of people that get traumatized lose their life to the traumatic event because all they do is get caught up in it and the parameters it puts around them because they never sought treatment. You know, you also want to accept uh, help and support, and you also want to have the courage to tell people what you need. And if that means please shut up about this, then that is what you need. You don't have to be all diplomatic. Now, you know, people that get raped and they experience sexual trauma, that can be a horrible, horrible thing. You know, the trauma of being raped or sexually assaulted can just shatter a person because basically it has turned them into an object that has no opinion. They are an object and, and, they, and they're left feeling scared, ashamed, alone, plagued by nightmares, flashbacks, unpleasant memories. But no matter how bad you feel right now, it's important to remember that you weren't to blame for what happened. And you can regain your sense of safety and trust. Recovering from sexual trauma, it takes time. And the healing healing process can be very painful. But the right strategies and support can move past. You can move past that trauma. You can rebuild your sense of control. You can rebuild your sense of self-worth. And you can even come out the other side feeling stronger and more resilient. So the aftermath, what, what is the aftermath? Well, you know, sexual violence is shockingly common in our society. You know, one in five women in the U.S. are raped or sexually assaulted at some point in their life, often by someone they knew and trusted. So the impact of sexual violence goes far beyond any physical injuries. When you've been raped, the world doesn't feel like a safe place anymore. You no longer trust others. You don't even trust yourself. You may question your judgment, your self-worth, even your sanity. You may blame yourself for what happened and believe you're, you're dirty or damaged goods. And relationships often feel dangerous and intimacy is impossible. And on top of that, you may, like many rape survivals, struggle with PTSD, anxiety, depression. But it's important to remember that when you're experiencing a normal reaction to trauma, your feelings of helplessness, shame, de- defectiveness, self-blame are symptoms, not reality. And so dispelling this toxic victim blaming myth about sexual violence can help you start healing because now you're taking accountability that, yep, that happened to me, but that's not me. That's not what I'm all about, but that did happen to me and it's a horrible event. You know, it can be extraordinarily difficult to admit that you were raped or sexually assaulted. You know, there's a stigma attached to it that you're you're somewhat to blame for it. You know, it can make you feel dirty and weak and you may also be afraid of how others will react or how they'll judge you, or how they'll look at you differently. And it seems easier to downplay 
what happened or keep it a secret. You know, look at all these Harvey Weinstein victims that are now coming out after the fact of, of years of hiding it. You know, you want you don't want to stay silent. You want to understand that it's not you that they're focusing on. It's the perpetrator they're focusing on. They they have nothing but empathy for you. You know, the world is okay to communicate with after rape. You know, it, people don't always take on the blame game with you. But if they do, that's not a person you should associate with. They they that's scum of the earth. You know, challenge your sense of helplessness and isolation if, if you're somebody, if, if being raped makes you feel powerless and vulnerable, it's important to remind yourself that you have strengths and coping skills that can get you through tough times. You know, something that can help you build strength sometimes is to actually uh, take on a physical activity like karate or jujitsu or something like that where you can feel like you have more control of your safety. But don't be afraid to reach out to someone you trust. It's common to think that you don't talk about the rape, but and, 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 and then you pretend as if it didn't happen. But you can't heal when you're avoiding the truth. And hiding only adds feelings of shame. And here's the deal. If you were raped in childhood, God forbid, or molested in childhood, and you remember it, and you've never talked about it, find somebody you can begin to process that with. Because you've been stuffing that content, and that content has been dictating how you react to your life, how you react to your spouse, how do you react to your children, how do you react to your friends, how you socialize, how safe you feel in the world. You need to process that out. And even if it's therapy, that's great. If you do it there where nobody will ever know. Okay, you also want to assign responsibility where it, where it belongs, on the rapist, not yourself. Even if you intellectually understand that you're not to blame for rape, you may still struggle with the feelings of guilt and shame. But as you acknowledge the truth of what happened, it will be easier for you to understand that you're not responsible. You didn't bring this assault on yourself. You have nothing to be ashamed of. It's this idiot that forced it on you. And they need to get justice because if they're going to rape you, guess what they're going to go out in the world and do or have done and and continue to do. And that's rape other people. And certainly you don't want to be a part of that. All right. We're going to continue to talk about rape. Uh, and I'm talking about it because it is out there, and there's a lot of it. Um, the, the, there's even the date rate drugs that, where they can barely remember what happened to them. It's so sad. Um, all right, so let's come back and uh, take another stab at uh, severe trauma. Thanks. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, surviving trauma. And right now we're focused on uh, rape. You know, if you're feeling guilty or ashamed because you were raped, you know, number one, you didn't stop the assault from happening. That is one of the guilt factors. And after the fact, it's easy to second guess what you did or didn't do. But when you're in the midst of an assault... Your brain and body are in shock, and you can't think clearly. Many people say they feel frozen. So don't judge yourself for this natural reaction to trauma. You did the best you could under extreme circumstances, and if you could have stopped the assault, you would have stopped the assault. You know, you also trusted someone you shouldn't have, and that's another one of the guilt factors and the shame factors. You know, one of the most difficult things to deal with following an assault by someone you know is the violation of trust. But you have to understand that that is a predator. They want to get your trust so they can expose, and that's what they do. They try to get that trust, and then they try to use it almost immediately, or sometimes they do it over a long period of time. And then they find their opportunity and they jump. You know, it's natural to start questioning yourself and wondering if you miss the signs. Just remember that your attacker is a predator and they are the one to blame. And they have set up a scenario that you had no idea you were going to fall into. So don't beat yourself up for assuming that your attacker was a decent human being. Your attacker is the one who should feel guilty and ashamed, scum of the earth, so they, they live in the worst part of the prison. If they go to prison, they live in a whole separate community from everybody else because everybody wants to kill them. You know, you also, if you were drunk or if you were dressed in a certain way, you may be wondering if you're somehow to blame of the way you were dressed or because you were drunk or not cautious enough. But it's important to remember that regardless of the circumstances, the only one who's responsible for the assault is the perpetrator. You did not ask for it and it, you didn't deserve what happened? And by the way, you know, lots of predators sit around bars late at night hoping a girl will come in there drunk and take advantage of them. And what they often do is they will give them lots of compliments, see how they react to the compliments. If they have a low self-esteem and if they're drunk, those are two very dangerous things for a person. If they're drunk and have a low self-esteem and they're hanging around a bar and there's not a lot of safety factors involved, that's when oftentimes these predators will take advantage of those scenarios. Um, also, number two, prepare for flashbacks and upsetting memories. If you're going to go through rape, you're going to have flashbacks. And when we go through something stressful, your body temporarily goes into the fight or flight. And when the threat is passed, your body calms down. But traumatic experiences such as rape can cause our nervous systems to become stuck in the high alert. So we're hypersensitive to the smallest of stimulation. And so this is a case for many rape survivors. Flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive memories are extremely common, especially in the first few months following the assault. You know, so this is number one. Uh, you want to take care of your body. You want to take care of yourself. Your body is a temple. And a lot of women uh, who don't seek treatment will go into a depression. They'll go into a shame-based life where they don't want to talk about it. Uh, they may have children. They may not. They may enjoy sex. They may not. But the bottom line is a lot of them 
will not take care of their bodies. A lot of them will gain weight as a defense mechanism to make them feel safe. So now they're not a sexual object. So they gain weight in order subconsciously, not consciously, to protect themselves. And that's their way of trying to protect themselves is to feel like they are not sexy. And so they'll, they'll go out there and do that to, to take away that trigger so that they can feel safer in their life. That's not a good way to heal. You know, folks, you have to get back on the horse and take care of yourself and become the person that you are. Your soul's living a human life. You have a purpose. There's a meaning. There's passions. Don't let a rapist get in your way of defining who you are. Those events aren't you. That is someone else's stage that they created and they trapped you into it. That's the bottom line. You also want to prevent stress of flashbacks and upsetting memories by trying to anticipate and prepare for the places that you will be triggered. You know, common triggers include anniversaries, people, places associated with the rape, certain sights, sounds, smells. And if you're aware of what triggers may cause the upsetting reaction, you'll be better positioned to understand what's happening to, to, to calm down. You also want to pay attention to your body's danger signals. Your body and emotions give you clues when you're starting to feel stressed and unsafe. These clues and feel, uh, include feeling tense, holding your breath, racing thoughts, shortness of breath, hot flashes, dizziness, nausea. If you're getting that, you need to go ahead and find safety for yourself. Whether the person you're around is safe or not, you need to give yourself the time to recover, not expose yourself to a person in that light. You want to give yourself a chance to heal. You also want to uh, take immediate steps to self-heal. When you notice any of the symptoms, it's important to quickly act calm, calm yourself down before you spiral out of control. So one of the quickest and most effective ways to calm anxiety and panic is to slow down your breathing. You know, soothe panic with the simple breathing exercise. Sit or stand comfortably with your back straight. Put one hand on your chest. Put the other on your stomach. Take a slow breath in from your nose, counting to four. Hand on your stomach should rise. The hand on your chest should move very little. Hold your breath for a count of seven. Exhale through your mouth to the count of eight, pushing out as much air as you can while contracting your abdominal muscles. And the hand on your stomach should move in as you exhale. But your other hand should also move very little. Then you inhale again and repeat the cycle until you feel relaxed and centered. You know, dealing with flashbacks. It's not always possible to prevent flashbacks, but if you uh, find yourself losing touch with the present and feeling like the assault is happening all over again, there's things you can do. Accept and reassure that this is a flashback and not reality. You know, it's over. It was an event, but it's not this moment. Also, ground yourself in the present. That means, you know, direct your attention away from the flashback and back to your present environment. Some examples include tapping or touching your arms or, or describing your actual environment, what you see when you look around, and how it's different from the environment you recalled. You know, also, you want to reconnect to your, your body and your feelings. Since your nervous system is hypersensitive state, uh, following that, you may want to start doing things uh, to numb yourself or, or avoid any associations with trauma. But you really can't selectively numb. When you sit down in unpleasant situations, you also shut down your self-awareness, your capacity for joy, and then you're disconnected emotionally and physically. So here's some signs, you know, feeling physically shut down. You, you don't feel body sensations like you used to or, or uh, uh, feelings separate from your body or your surroundings. It's like you're watching yourself. 
having trouble concentrating or remembering things. That is the most common. Or using stimulants, you know, risky activities or physical pain to feel alive and counteract the emptiness inside of you. A lot of people do that. They, they do cutting and all kinds of weird crap to their body because they don't feel anything. They feel empty. So they want to, they want to remind themselves that they are something, that they are a person, that they have feelings. Uh, also, uh, many, many people, after these experiences, they compulsively use drugs or alcohol, or they escape through fantasies, daydreams, excessive TV, video games, and they, they have this feeling of detachment from the world, the people in your life, the activities that you used to enjoy. To recover after rape, you need to reconnect, uh, reconnect to your body and your feelings. You need to, uh, here's some techniques to do that. You, you, a, a rhythmic movement can be very healing. It helps us relax and regain a sense of control. And anything that combines rhythm and movement will work, like dancing or drumming or marching. You can even incorporate it into your walking or running routine by concentrating on the back and forth movements of your arms and your legs. Also, mindful meditation. Mindfulness meditation can be practiced anywhere, even when you're walking or eating. Simply focus on what you're feeling in the present moment, including your body including your emotions, and the goal is to observe without judgment. Also, yoga, tai chi, qi uh, gong, these activities combine body awareness with relaxing, focused movement, and help you relieve symptoms of PTSD. And these things give you intuition, once again, peace in your life. Uh, massage. You know, after rape, you may feel uncomfortable with human touch, but uh, touching and being touched is a very important way to give and receive affection and comfort. So you can begin to reopen yourself to human contact through a massage therapy. You know, these are things that we all can do. Okay, now what is this EMDR thing? Well, EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and it's a psychotherapy that basically enables people to heal from symptoms and emotional distress that are a result of a disturbing event. And, and a lot of studies show that by using EMDR, people can experience the benefits of psychotherapy that once took years to make a difference. And it's widely assumed that severe emotional pain requires a long time to heal, but emo- EMDR therapy shows that the mind can in fact heal from psychological trauma much as the body recovers from physical trauma. So when you cut your hand, your body works to close the wound. If a foreign object or a repeated injury irritates the wound, it festers and causes pain. But once the block is removed, the healing resumes. EMDR therapy basically demonstrates that a similar sequence of events occurs in the mental process, and the brain's information processing system naturally moves towards mental health. So if the the system is blocked or imbalanced by the impact of a disturbing event, the emotional wound festers and can cause intense suffering. Once that block is removed, the healing reserves. Now, how does it happen? What do you do? Well, it's very, very simple. Very simple, folks. EMDR works like a train. You start before the event, that's the front of the train, and you move your way to the back of the train. And what you do is you begin to discuss the event right up front, uh, right before it happened or sometime up leading up to it with a therapist that does EMDR as an expert. Now, what happens is that the, the process begins with eye movement. So we get a steady eye movement by either moving a finger and watching it or having an electronic board that does it or actually stimulating the hands uh, with with tactile uh, type of repeated uh, one hand gets stimulated, then the other, and then the other, and and it goes back and forth. 
however you do it, I do both the board and the hand, uh, what happens is the, the brain starts to think that it's in the, uh, the uh, REM stage of sleep, the rapid eye movement stage of sleep. And what it actually does is what we do when we dream. So we go through the event from the front, and then we, we do like a train. We, we cover a little segment, then we do eye movement, then we cover another segment, do eye movement, then we cover another segment, do eye movement. And as we're doing that, we're reprocessing that event from front to back all the way through, basically just talking it through. And many people in the MDR remember things they never remembered. They remember perceptions they never thought. They remember things they did that were heroic or great, and they never realized they did. And what happens is they begin to clear that event out of the limbic system, which holds traumatic memory. The limbic system sits on top of the brainstem. And what it's meant to do is go, okay, I remember when I was chased by the woolly mammoth, and this is what it sounded like, and this is what happens. Every time that your life is threatened or something bad happens that's traumatic where you feel it's out of control, the limbic system captures that memory. And it is not able to unload it because it's not a memory gland like the two memory glands that we have at the the very back of our brain uh, on both sides. And so what happens is is if we're able to access that limbic system, what the limbic system will do is it will reprocess an event through the REM stage of sleep. But you're not asleep. You're totally awake just like you are right now. It's not hypnosis either. You're fully conscious just like you are. So what you do is you go through the story like a little train in segments and then eye movement, segments and eye movement, segment and then eye movement. And basically we get through the event and the brain has reprocessed that out of the limbic system and into the memory glands on both sides. That's what the eye movement does. It accesses both of the memory glands because they're also tied to the brain stem and your optical nerve is tied to them. And so what they do is it reaccesses that information. So what does that do? Well, it drops a window between the event and yourself. So suddenly you're not in the event. You can just witness the event. Now you're just seeing it from the outside in, not from the inside out. It's no longer anything that is emotionally important it's an event that you remember and so that's it you don't forget it you just remember it oh yeah that's what happened blah 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 but you're not triggered emotionally by it because the memory glands and the 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 rim stage of sleep that your brain thinks it's in clears it out and if you do three sessions at about 90 minutes i can guarantee you that will for at least 80 percent if not 90 percent of the people clear it it clears it out, the PTSD symptoms. It relieves the stress of the memories. I always recommend EMDR after trauma. It's a great treatment for that. And there's other trauma-focused, you know, like just cognitive behavioral therapy. That stuff, I, I mix both actually, EMDR and uh, talk therapy to try to help people because you want to get them to heal. So that is what EMDR does. But EMDR, by the way, is the only... Uh, real treatment for trauma that is uh, equestrian treatment, by the way, equestrian therapy is another way, that, uh, that the government endorses, the Department of Defense endorses, that the police uh, endorse, and also fire. Those are used most commonly with those folks. All right. That's our show. I hope it helps you. And uh, our next show is going to be talking about conversion disorder. That's people that ha- use uh, physical pain but they actually it's being caused by psychological symptoms. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net 
or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember, if your parents took you on the back of their bikes and their ass was so big you couldn't turn your head, you were a victim of childhood trauma. I don't, I don't believe in beating my kids, so I make them wear a Justin Bieber T-shirts, Crocs to school so others will do it for me. That's Adam Sandler. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.